0: Well, today is the birthday of my oldest daughter, and she has uh, consequently been uh, checking the mailbox every day with extra zeal. As we come to this day, and she was called me up as I was away at a conference, and she informed me how someone had given her some money, and she was astounded. And she shared with me the, the statement at the end is so now I'm rich. And she hung up and I thought about that, I just kinda laughed for a little while, said, Yeah. But then I thought, you know, she really is. She really is rich. It's uh I started thinking what she has is um more than many uh people in this world. She is receive much more than ever a billion people who today are having a hard time figuring out what they're going to eat for the day she has no concerns about that our shelter and she has the discretionary income of what some would take over 2 months to work for and i thought yeah but you know i'm rich too and you're rich also you may have never thought about that but god's not looking at you just with the national average of america god is global and he sees you from a global point of view and you must come to the terms with the fact that you are rich deal with it all right just deal with it you are But I just want to share also from the text today of another one who is rich and grows increasingly so. And not just him, but his whole people. It is, in fact, the story of Joseph. Uh, If it's anything, we would always say it's the story of rags to riches. Uh, And in this chapter, what we'll look at this morning in chapter 47, it is the riches section. Uh, Verses 13 uh, and you see that the riches seem to grow at the poverty of those around them. And you read this passage and a lot of folks could have all kinds of questions uh, after reading this and thinking... I thought Joseph was a godly person. Why are these things happen? How come he's getting rich at the expense of the poor? And how come Pharaoh seems to own everything? And how come slavery seems to be instituted here? And how is it that God's people are seeming to be well off uh, at the expense of the poverty of the Egyptians? Great questions. <laughs> Great questions. I, I will not pretend to say that I will answer all these questions. But I think that hopefully we can give you uh, some principles to give you right perspective in dealing with this, not only in, in that time but in your time, and so uh, Genesis 47 verse 13 through 31, and then what I also will do is uh, read. Well, you know, you can't help it; I have to read the end of the chapter. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of that. We're going to read the end of the chapter, uh, get the last bit. Uh, you know, that's uh, any good book. Good, good book is. Uh, You you skip to the end and so let's start with uh, first with verse 13 Genesis 47 We'll read to end of the chapter and then we'll skip to chapter 50 read verse 22 through 26 And honor of this passage. Let's stand as we read it together Now there was no food in all the land for the famine was very severe So the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes both we and our land by us and our land for food and we will with our land Will be servants to pharaoh and give a seed that we may live and not die that the land may not be desolate So joseph bought all the land of egypt for pharaoh for all the egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them The land became pharaohs as for the people He made them servants of them from one end of egypt to the other "'Only the land of the priests he did not buy, "'for the priests had a fixed allowance for Pharaoh from Pharaoh "'and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. "'Therefore they did not sell their land. "'Then Joseph said to the people, "'Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. "'Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. "'And all the harvest you shall give, "'a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, "'a seed for the field, and as food for yourselves "'and your household, and as food for your little ones.' And they said, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be service to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statue concerning the land of Egypt. And it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen. And they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob "'Lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. "'So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were 147 years. "'And when the time drew near that Israel must die, "'he called his son Joseph and said to him, "'If now I have found favor in your sight, "'put your hand under my thigh "'and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. "'Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place,' he answered. "'And I will do as you have said.' And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. Now to chapter 50. Some years have passed. Verse 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt. He and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Mekir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own and Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being a 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. He may be seated. As I was studying this passage, struck me how uncanny uh, similarities may seem in our time versus what was going on in Egypt's day. Um, as I was studying it, it seemed like Egypt had their own bailout plan. They had their own stimulus package. They had their own buying up of GM and other uh, businesses and houses and lands and there was the nationalization of everything <laughs> i thought wow <clears throat> we've just got to the tip of this deal you know they're, they're just the government's just buying gm i mean you know when do they come in and if we were in this day they would be buying our houses and our cars and and our clothing and everything that we had and even our own <clears throat> rights would be owned by the nation <clears throat> we've not yet got to that point have we But yet we still plead, much like they plead, where is our Joseph? Where is our one who will rescue us from the financial straits that we may be in? And that was the plea that they were in. And I just want to share that we have had our Joseph. Uh, His name was Jesus. Jesus. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, as we come to the end. But nonetheless, that was the idea, was Joseph in the Egyptian mind very much represented Savior to them. Uh, all kinds of questions comes up as, as we read this. But essentially what has happened is, is Joseph had followed the, the the vision of God, the dream of God, knew what was going to happen, knew that there were still five more years of a famine after s- after having two years of a famine already, and seven years of plenty, <clears throat> and he he was wise in that time, saved up uh, of the grain, prepared for this moment and this time, and now uh, it's here, and all the people uh, were woefully unprepared. Uh, though they had Joseph's example, they themselves evidently were not able to save up for seven years of famine. That's, that's a hard, hard thing to do. Uh, can you save up for seven years without work? Uh, is your nest egg to that, uh, extent? Uh, but nonetheless, that's kind of the situation, uh, that they were in. Seven years without having income, without having produce, uh, grain and, and famine. So they were in dire straits. And so they run out of money and and so they they go through everything else Jesus says well i'll tell you what let's let's look at your goods let's look at your your uh what we can exchange <coughs> and so they exchange everything eventually to the point where all they had where their land and their lives and just said okay we'll take your land and so basically set them all up as tenant farmers and gave them grain and helped them to uh produce still and gave them, I would just note this, that his plan emphasized dignity of a man and dignity of work. I think those are two important valuables uh, values that, that Joseph's plan had. That there was not necessarily the welfare of just handing out. But there was, we understand that you are a person we will recognize and give you dignity for that. You will be doing work. You're going to be doing work. And made sure that the plan uh, included work uh, as, as part of the solution. And I would just note uh, some interesting things. One, that the people's response was not that of, of uh, thank you, Dick, appreciate that. It was that of uh, being disgruntled. But instead was very much thankful. Thank you for saving us. All right, So that was their attitude, their, their mindset. And so they're very appreciative of all that's about to happen. Uh, Now, I just, if you can imagine being in that scene, all this while, while the Egyptians are going down and down and selling their goods, yard sales going left and right, and you're wondering, who on earth is going to the yard sale, going to the pawn shops, going to buy these things? Let me propose to you one group of immigrants that were doing it. The Israelites had all their needs met. And courtesy of big brother Joseph. He had shared with them, All your needs are met. We're going to take care of you. You've got land, you've got some of the best of the land. And you notice what the scripture has to say in regards to the Israelites after describing the plight of Egyptians. Uh, the, the Bible says, verse 27 Israel settled the land of Egypt in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. Let me just state, God had blessed the Israelites in the promised land, but never so much to have possessions. You know from what we know in the scripture, they had one piece of property and that was a cemetery where they would have Abraham and Isaac Uh, And their wives placed out there. And so now they seem to be having possessions. And so who's going to the yard sales? Who's going buying up all the things that they're selling? It's the Israelites. (coughs) And then primarily Joseph. Uh, I just want you to understand. Do you see the relationship here? Do you see the similarities? And what's going on? And what they were dealing with? But in the midst of this. I think that the Bible is not necessarily emphasizing Joseph and the great character of Joseph, though he does exhibit great character. But there's something to be said about God. Remember, the Bible is about God. And so this tells us something about him. And as I look at this and I see how the wealth is going from the Egyptians and going to the Israelites and going through, through Joseph, what does it stay, say about wealth? And this, this point is where you will have trouble and I will have trouble as being rich people. And here it is. Simply this. Wealth is for God's glory. Wealth is for God's glory. Now, this flies right in the face of most Americans. Because... If anything, wealth is for our glory. It is that which we gain status symbols. So that we will look good in front of people that we don't really know are like. But it's not really about them, is it? It's about us. Wealth is for God's glory. Let me just bring to you another passage that that speaks to this. Uh, And not only to wealth, but to many other uh, wonderful things that we find this earth. Turn, keep your finger in in Genesis, but turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 15. Says here, referring to Jesus Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Alright? What, what exactly is he talking about here? Well, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, our dominions, our rulers, our authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That means money visible. Visible. He's created by him, through him, for him. And all things invisible by him, through him, for him have been given for him. And verse 17, he is before all things, and in all him all things hold together. So let me just say, if you go to verse 18, that in everything he might be preeminent. Alright, that is what the New Testament makes clear that is implied in the Old Testament in Genesis forty seven. Wealth is for God's glory. I will say that as many times as necessary to help us sink in to our brain to fight thousands of commercials that we will face today uh, and all that we will see and think. And so just know that now, if that is true, if that is true, then there are some things we do that brings greater glory to God with how we do wealth First, I would bring this thought to you that I think that Joseph himself does. That, uh, well, he follows God's directions in acquiring wealth. How does God get glory? God gets the glory in wealth when we follow God's directions in acquiring wealth. You notice what Joseph's plan was? I would present to you that it was a divine plan. I mean, how else do you explain uh, a vision going to the uh, ruler and that, that this man gets the power and ability to interpret those dreams? And you think, well, you know what? If God worked in my life like that, I'd have a lot of wealth too. I mean, if God gave me a vision that the Tao would go up and would go down, my goodness, what things we could do. All right. Uh, well. It's not ours to covet the way God works with each person. But the thought is that we need to understand that Joseph consulted and sought God's direction in regards to wealth. That he had a relationship with God that he saw wealth as an extension of the working of God. Do you see wealth as the extension of the working of God? Have you ever asked yourself, why do you have what you have? And have you ever contributed that why to God? Is it because that God has granted this to me? Why does God grant this to me? That is a question every American needs to ask. Why did God grant us the riches that we have? Not just generally as a nation, but specific individually to you. Why did God grant it to you? And what that will drive us to is to say, God, what do you want done with this money? Now, guys, you and I know uh, our problem is that we just don't always consult God with our purchases, and for that matter, we don't always consult our spouses <laughs> with our purchase. In fact, we barely consult ourselves. You know? I was at a store, I was, I was buying something for someone else in our family, and I thought, man, look at that right there. And it was one of these, uh, it was one of these wire transmitting speakers. I thought, man, if I can have this, I don't have to, I can put this out on the deck, and I can just have a little transmitter radio hooked up to my, uh, MP3 player. Man, this is great. And I, and I started looking at the price, and I started, Normally I think, okay, well, it's not too much. Let's bam, let's go. But the thing is, I was preaching this today, <laughs> and I, and I, I'm learning some lessons that, you know, this wealth that I can so easily spend and readily spend because maybe I don't see it coming from my wallet because it's going through a debit card, a credit card, or a check that's still got. And that wealth, sixty dollars in this specific case, was. God's and it's for God's glory and I've got to ask myself well I don't think this is really for God's glory I think it's really just what I want you see what I'm saying is that God must be consulted in the acquiring of wealth and the business deals of our life and the work of our life understand it has been given to you by God for God and through God And so, is it any great deal for us to consult God? I would just present to you that Joseph is in this place because he has sought the direction of God and is following God's direction and is now in a place of extreme wealth. Of extreme wealth in the most wealthiest nation of the world. He was at the top in regards to wealth. Now... Some of you are thinking, wow, so if I just follow God's direction, I can be like Joseph. I can be at the top of the top of the world. People will be coming to me and asking for money to loan out to them. I won't have to be in debt. Is that what you're saying, pastor? I, I, that I don't have to ever worry about money? I am saying that you never have to worry about money because the same God that is the God of Joseph is the God of today. But I am saying also that it's not going to be exactly like that because God is working differently today. I would just present to you that God's working with wealth is much different in the Old Testament than God's working in the wealth in the New Testament. Let me argue my case in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, God calls out Abraham. You know this well by now. all right? He calls out Abraham and he gives them some promises. And what are one of the promises that he gives them? God will what? Bless you. God will bless you. God will give you land. God will give you children. In fact, nations will come from you. And whoever blesses you will be blessed. And whoever curses you will be cursed. And in you will be the blessing for all the world. That is, I believe, a financial blessing entailed within that. And you see that exhibited in Abraham's life as he has gained, gained great wealth. You see that uh, in, uh, as spelled out for us in Genesis uh, chapter 24, or 34 as well in Isaac's life. That he too gains great wealth. We see this in Jacob's life in chapter thirty. Uh, Verse 43, that he gains great wealth. You see this here in Joseph's life as well as in all the Israelites put together that they are in a place of prestige, wealth, and the wealthiest nation of the world at that time. You see this later on as God does indeed make of them a nation and he tells them in several different places that if you obey me, I will bless you. If you obey me, I will bless you. You see this in Leviticus chapter 26, verse 3 through 12. You see this in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 14. In fact, if you will, let me just read to you uh, one of these passages in Deuteronomy 15, verse 4 through 6. It's repeated several times. He says... Uh, However, there shall be no poor among you, since the Lord will surely bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess. If only you listen obediently to the voice of the Lord your God to carefully observe all this commandment which I'm commanding you today. For the Lord your God shall bless you as he promised you, and you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow, and you will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. Let me just present to you that God is getting glory through the wealth of his nation. That obedience to God in this point leads to acquiring possessions on earth. Because God was building a place, a nation, to display his glory. You see later on that as they obey God, that God does give them wealth. You see this with David and Solomon. In fact, uh, all the riches of David and Solomon it astounds the world. The queen of Sheba comes and, and, and hears about The riches and wisdom and Solomon and gives glory to God because of it. And they see the, the temple and its magnificence that this is the place which God is to dwell. And it is the riches of the temple glorifies God. And in fact the Bible talks about how there was shields of gold made and put upon the walls. And I'd love to see that. I would just absolutely love to see walls filled with shields of gold and what that would look like. And then later on how they started to disobey God and those riches started to dwindle away. And they replaced uh, the the shields of gold with shields of brass to keep the image of, of maybe that we're trying to obey God and, and that God's giving us some blessings and, and you see it throughout the national history when they walk away from God the riches go with it and when they walk with God the riches come with it. So does, is God does that mean that if we obey God then we will acquire possessions? I would state in the Old Testament that was the case because God was building a nation and a place to glorify him. There was a temple. And that temple was to be the inhabitants of God's glory. But let me just state this. In the New Testament, things are different. All the major principles of spiritual principles of the Old Testament you see repeated in the New Testament. Except this one. That if you obey God, you'll you'll acquire possessions. You don't see that repeated. And this is something I've been teaching on Wednesday nights. But uh, and in the example of Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, you have the story of a rich young ruler who comes to Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 10, especially around verse 28, uh, he, he speaks about this. And this rich young ruler, he says, What must I do to inherit the kingdom of, of God? The kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, well, you know, you know, do all the commandments. And 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 this guy says, well, I've done all these things from, from my youth. And verse 21, Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, looking at him, loved him, said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have. Give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then this is just as important as going and selling and come, follow me, come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Verse 23, Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how difficult it would be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 24, the disciples were amazed at these words. Why were they amazed? Because the Old Testament system up to this point had always been, you obey God, therefore you acquire possessions. If you have possessions, it meant that you were obedient to God. That's why they were amazed. But Jesus is reversing that. He says... Verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He says, riches now are a barrier to the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? you know what that means? It is hard for an American to enter the kingdom of God. It is hard for people of Nightdale to enter the kingdom of God. It is hard for you to enter the kingdom of God. Why is it so hard? Because of what Jesus said and what this man alluded to. Because of his great possessions. He says, verse 26. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him. Well then who can be saved? If the rich aren't saved, because they must be rich because of their obedience, then then who can be saved? Verse 27, Jesus looked at him and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. You see, to enter the kingdom of God, God must be God and not riches. And what has happened is the riches have accumulated and has risen above God. And now when it has been called upon him, give up these riches and follow me, the rich young man. Cannot because his heart is not there. His heart is in his riches. By the way, Jesus wasn't telling him to be willing to. He was telling him to sell all that he had and follow him. Peter said, well... We've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last will be first. What is he saying? If I give up everything, then how does it that I get everything in this age and in the time to come? What he's saying is that a church is a community of people who have exalted christ above their riches and when you enter into that communion community you do get brothers and sisters in christ and only that all the wealth that the lord uh, seems to provide for that church there is to be a willingness that if there is a need that you you give up you sell a car so that you can meet the need for someone else and you wonder what will i do that god will provide someone in that church community who will also provide for you And that is the thought that he is bringing. He says, in this age and in the age to come, he says there is an an eternal reward when you make Christ your treasure and not wealth. Now, that being said, in the Old Testament, wealth was acquired from obedience to show the glory of God. That being said, still, there was instructions throughout the Old Testament on what to do with the poor of the land. As I read to you in Deuteronomy 15, that it was very clear from God that they were to take care of the poor. They were to minister to them. And you see specific instructions given to that. And that would take me to this next point. How do you glorify God? How is it that your wealth can glorify God? I shared, first of all, it's it's done when when we follow God's direction in acquiring wealth, but also when we follow God's direction in giving wealth. I don't want you to get the idea that we shouldn't gain money. I would encourage every single one of you to get as much money as you can. Just get as much money as you can. All right? Can you do that? Can you do that? Get as much money as you can. But the reason why radically changes... A lot of times we're like, all right, I can do that, Pastor. I'm glad you could say that. Because we've got a whole list of those things we want to get. But you remember, wealth is for the glory of God. And we ask God, how do we distribute this money? If it's for the glory of God, it is by the glory of God, through the glory of God, through Christ, I would present to you that the number one goal is to advance the kingdom of god because he's your king because he's your king and that's what jesus said to the rich young ruler go and sell all that you have give it to the poor come follow me it says advance the kingdom of god do so with your possessions but do so with your heart with your life with your soul it's interesting these egyptians And here's what they're coming up to with Joseph. When they run out of the houses and when they run after mules and everything else, what do they say? Take our hands, take our life, just don't let us die. We will be your slaves, we will be your servants. Isn't it interesting that they willingly do for financial and for physical life what Jesus asked us to do for spiritual life? Jesus says, I want you to come and deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Will you be a living sacrifice? And we balk at that. We say, no. No, could it be that we balk at asking to be a living sacrifice because we believe more in the physical and what we see than what we do not see in the eternal? That's the only explanation I can think of as to why we would balk as giving our heart and soul uh, to to the Lord and following him uh, as opposed to... Uh, saying, look, I want to give my heart and soul for finances. How is it the Egyptians were able to do it for financial gain and we are for just sustenance and food and for physical life and we balk at it for spiritual life. Just a thought to bring out in this. But notice what Joseph is doing. He has all this wealth. What would someone do with all this wealth? Do you know how tempting it would be to say, oh, Pharaoh, yeah, here's, um, here's Here's $30 million that came in today. And you don't mention anything about the $3 million in addition to that. Because, after all, Barak had $30 million. And, and, and it's like he's not going to miss $3 million here today and tomorrow and maybe the next day. And, and, and you start wondering, hey, Joseph, how is it that you got all this stuff? Joseph does not see his life as the end of all this wealth. But that is that it is his hands through which this wealth is to go through. That he says, I've accumulated for seven years. I've saved up not for my own self, but I know that this wealth is for the purpose of distributing to the poor. And that's exactly what he does. Let me just challenge you. Could it be that the riches that God has given to us is to advance his kingdom... And maybe one of the ways he wants us to advance his kingdom is to distribute to those who are in need. When you consider that there are a billion people today, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not just throwing numbers out there, but there are a billion people today that woke up and are waking up and they don't know what they're going to eat today. Just something to consider in all of this. We will consult God and will seek God's direction, follow his direction in distributing to the poor. Much as Joseph himself does this as an example that he is a distributor and nothing else. Not the end of it all. I came across an interesting idea. I was reading a book. Craig Blomberg has wrote a book on this called Neither Poverty Nor Riches. In which he surveys the biblical instruction concerning possessions going from the Old Testament to the New Testament. uh, The early church. Uh, and, and coming up with some interesting conclusions that, you know what, the, yes, be content, but understand that we're not to live for these riches. He came up with this interesting idea of a church that realizes, you know, the, the young couple's coming out and they're buying a house and they have the interest and, uh, and they're having to pay. Uh, large amounts of money. It's, it's been one of the problems of our economy is, is buying overbuying in a house. He says, what if a church saved up money uh, and, and had enough money for cash to to lay down for a young couple to purchase that house and instead of sending that couple, sending money to a mortgage company and for a bank and for the interest, what if they started sending that money to the church for the purpose of the gospel? I <laughs> gives me something to think about we could possibly do that here just throwing it out there let you guys do what you want with that but what if we started thinking that way that we started seeking God's direction instead of just saying this is just how life is in America isn't that right to get in debt as soon as you're in college and as soon as you're out with your house isn't that I mean, if the largest expense is toward the interest of our house. What if we did something about that as a church? Just something to mull over and pray over. Perhaps do. So, that's the attitude of Joseph. He sees himself as a distributor. I ask you, will you pray about how God would ask you to give? Here's the problem I have in my life. Every time... Income increases. Lifestyle increases. I look for the first chance possible to improve my lifestyle. That's me. I don't think I'm the only one. But we see every increase in our life as an invitation, even a leading of God, that that means that we are to increase our lifestyle. I would challenge you, you and your spouse, to look at what you need and cap yourself. And say, you know what? I don't want to be enslaved to riches. Let me just take you to a passage in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is a great New Testament uh, teaching on this. Chapter 6. If you'll turn in your Bibles there. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verse 6. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. And we we understand that. That's, yes, I need to be content. I understand that contentment isn't necessarily going to be had because I get more money. It is to be content with what things I have. Here's the problem I have. Verse 8. <laughs> Right here. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. The problem I have is that Paul, Paul defines middle class, if you will, of having enough money for food and clothing. Paul defines sufficient funds as enough money for food and clothing. I have the problem with verse 8. I don't have the problem with verse 6 or 7. I think, yes, I will be content. As long as I get to find what it means to be content with. As long as I say, well, it's this amount of money. It means I have these things. I will be content. But then he starts throwing in verse 8. What's the problem with verse 9? If you get beyond this, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. You mean if I want something besides food and clothing? (laughs) Understand that there is a temptation that comes with that—a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You keep on reading, verse seventeen. He gives out the dangers of the rich. He says, As For the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He tells us that if you're not careful, riches will make you self-confident. Notice the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. The riches can make us self-sufficient. It can make us self-sufficient. That it's all about ourself. He says don't do that because it can make you haughty. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty. Make sure it's set on God. Riches has a tendency to make your hope set on whether or not you got a certain amount in your bank account. Verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You see, in the Old Testament, obedience brought acquiring on, possessions on earth because God gave these possessions to build a place that displayed his glory. In the New Testament, as we see it in Mark chapter 10, verse 23, that obedience to God leads us to abandon our possessions on earth. And God gives possessions to build a people build a people who will take his glory in the nations let me ask you where is the temple of god today i've been to israel there is no temple there and even if there is a a temple to god that's not by god's decree the temple what is the temple today and the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 18 and 19 tells us that it is the body of the believer in Jesus Christ. The one who follows Jesus Christ is the, is the temple of God. God is no longer building a place. He is building a people. So there is no need for the gold shields anymore. Don't put gold shields up in this place or anything like that. Let me just display to you and present to you that the glory of Green Pines is not the building. Because the building is not Green Pines. The glory of God will be displayed through Green Pines when the people of Green Pines displays Christ in the grace and love of Jesus Christ. When they will know us by our love, our graciousness, our ability to help them to point to Jesus Christ. That is the glory of God displayed. Not whether or not this building has a certain statue to it. The, the point of this building, the nice and quality of this building is only so good as it helps us to reach people and bring glory to God. This is where many churches in America are messing up because they think they're building new temples. When there is so much debt because of church buildings. And how do you reconcile that with over a billion people that are starving in the world? What I'm saying is that, does that mean that we never can do anything nice? No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that we are in dire need of some balance. And I would gladly overstate the need to give because of where we're at in our society. To understand that this money belongs to God. And now, I want to just bring out one last aspect of this story. Wealth is for the glory of God. God is glorified when we seek God's and follow God's direction, acquiring wealth. God is glorified when we follow God's direction in giving wealth. And God is glorified when we follow God above wealth. Because that's the real problem. You know why this is such a hard deal for us to listen to? (laughs) You know why uh, you feel like someone's pulling your teeth? Because we have a problem with exalting wealth over God. We have a problem with wealth being our idol. That's why Jesus said in in Mark chapter 10 to the rich young ruler, you need to go and sell all this because he knew his heart. I wonder if we were in that position today, sitting alongside the rich young ruler, would Jesus look to our life and say anything different if we were there sitting with him? Now, I just want you to notice at the end of the story in Genesis 47 what Jacob does. Jacob does in Genesis 47. He says, we're going to have a serious moment here, son. I'm about to go. I've got some things I need to tell you. We'll read some more about what he had to say. He says, but before I get on to the blessings and prophecies of my sons, I want to make sure that we got something straight. This is a nice land. This land of Goshen. I don't worry about money. I, I've got tents and things that I thought I never would have. And I've been blessed by God all my life. But I see all my children, my grandchildren, they've got possessions. And they're wealthy. We are the, the pride of this nation. It, does it not seem that the nation of Egypt envy us because of all our wealth and all the luxuries that we have? We've got the fine buildings and the, the beautiful colors and the clothing of Egyptian cotton. And we've got all these things. But listen, son, my heart's not here. When I die, please don't bury me here. I've got another land. I've got another place. It does not equal to the wealth of Egypt. But you know what? It has what money cannot buy. It has been given to me by God. It is the inheritance of God. Right now, to our name, there is only a cemetery. But please bury me in that cemetery where my father Isaac's buried, where my grandfather Abraham is buried, where their wives are buried, where they died with the hope that God would do something with them. Because despite all these riches of this land, I would rather have the promise of God. And that's my hope. Son, you hear me? You swear to me. He had this oath done verse 29. It was an oath very similar to what Abraham made his servant do in seeking a wife for his uh, son Isaac. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm glad we don't do oaths like that here. Um, it's it's a, a euphemistic way. <laughs> when he says put your hand on my thigh, that's a euphemism, guys. You need to just think about that, all right? Uh, this was a serious oath. Here, handshake will do fine. But he says, take me there. Interesting enough, Joseph himself... When he comes time to his own death, in Genesis chapter 50, that which we read, he said, you know what? I have been prime minister. I have my rags and I've had my riches and my riches have occurred here in in Egypt. God has used me to save my people and, and the whole nation of Egypt and many other nations. God has used me in tremendous ways. I've got prestige. I've got power. I've got authority. I've got my family here. But when I die, don't leave my body in a pyramid of Egypt. I would much rather have a cave. In the promised land. You see in the Old Testament. God was working to provide a place. A nation. In the New Testament. No. He's no longer providing a place. and a nation. That's been done. And the nation is still protected. In the promises of God. He says. I give you the kingdom. I give you the kingdom. Of heaven. Lay up for yourselves. Treasures in heaven. See Please. Please, dear church, do not think that I'm speaking against your ambitions. I am not speaking against your ambitions and desires to accumulate wealth. What I'm speaking to you is lift your eyes higher. Don't live so short-sighted. You have dwarf dreams if you're dreaming only for the wealth and the bank accounts of this world. This world is not enough. Set your heart to which you have been made for, and that is to glorify God. Let me ask you, is this world enough? What does your bank account state? Live for the glory of God. It is not to say that we are to be buried in Israel anymore, but to say, you may bury my body here, My riches have been distributed long before because my heart is longing for heaven, longing for the kingdom of God. And I have vested my treasures in heaven. Imagine, if you will, that you were, uh, had a job here and it was given to you. And they said, you know what? Here's the conditions. You're going to have a job for just a little while. It's going to be just for seven years. And after seven years, you're going to be moved to Paris. And that's where you're going to be at that time. And we will pay you well. We'll give you a nice, healthy salary. Uh, we're going to put you up in a hotel. And uh, we'll take care of you There's one condition There's nothing that you buy here That you can take with you to Paris It has to stay right behind You cannot take it with it. We're just not going to pay for that shipment So just deal with that All right. So what do you do You start your job you, you, you get in the hotel And you get your first paycheck What do you do with that first paycheck Oh let me buy a nice painting I want to put it up here in the hotel room Why would you do that You can't take it with you it is, it's just a foolish thing. What do you do? You set up an account where you can be accessed in Paris. And you say, let me deposit this money right there. Let me just take a little bit of what I need, just a little bit of what I need to take care of my basic necessities, to make sure my family's taken care of, that we're all taken care of. And let me put the rest as much as I can to Paris. And you do that year after year after year because you know that it's just a matter of time that you're leaving this hotel that you don't own and you're going to the place. Where the real wealth is at. Do you understand what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter six? Do not lay up treasures for yourselves here on this earth, where moths can come in and thieves can can corrupt and steal and break. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Do you get that? We're in a war. It's about time we live in a wartime economy and start laying up our treasures in heaven. Let's pray.